This weekend, I got to do something that was a ton of fun for me. I, I got to perform a wedding ceremony. I'm like, I'm crazy, but I'm not like, ooh, weddings are so much fun. Like, weddings aren't normally this much fun, unless it was your wedding, then it was so much fun too. But I got to perform a wedding for a friend that, I mean, we went to preschool together. I mean, that's just weird. It's like, you know, from, from He-Mans to, to weddings. And it was a funny thing. It was so great getting to reconnect with him and, and his whole family. And I got to do marriage counseling with them, which was fun as, as well. Because if you've never done marriage counseling, that's like giving someone complete permission to just get all up in your business. And like, like start fights that you haven't even had yet with your soon-to-be spouse. Like, I mean, it's, it's fun as a pastor to do. But I mean, you're helping them do that. And so I really got to know um, Court and, and his wife Tiff, now wife Tiff, to, to a deeper level. And that's fun because I could see in them some things because Court is a lot like me. I mean, he's like, as, he's, he's even calmer than I am. He's calm as a cucumber. And, and his wife, Tiff, is a lot like my wife. Like, she is a strong woman. And so I could say, like, like I, not, not fights, but like, <laughs> here's some of the things you're going to navigate as you get married with these two personalities. Because I've seen this a little bit. And, and he's like, oh, she doesn't feel like that and looks at her. Wait, you feel like that? And, and like, you know, just seeing him navigate, it was fun. <clears throat> and so I can say, with, with, and said, you know, pretty clear certainty that if he woke up today, the day after his wedding, and said, you know, I know that we're married and we're, we're going to be married, but I just, I don't really want to wear this ring. I, I haven't worn jewelry a lot. I don't, that's just not who I am and that's not who I've been. And I just want to take this ring off. She would look at him and say, I will break that finger if you don't put that ring back on that finger. Because maybe you didn't used to wear jewelry, but we're married now. And you're my husband, and you're going to wear that ring. And that would be her personality. And, and, and it's true that, you know, he may have lived his, you know, 36 years one certain way. But there's been an identity change that dictates new behaviors, new action, new responsibilities. There's things that he needs to know how to do that he doesn't know how to do yet. But don't worry, she's going to tell him, and he'll figure it out. All right? Yeah, that's right. The women know. The men are still figuring it out. But, but there's identity change. There's identity change that happens at different points in our life. And it requires different actions. And, and that's really what we're getting into today. Because if you're new to this series, we're, this series is called I Declare War. And it's declaring war on the version of yourself that you don't want to be anymore. Because you know God has something different for you. God has something better for you. And so we're not just going to be okay with who we've been anymore. We're going to step into being the person God has called us to be. And week one, we talked about declaring war on our thoughts. Because there are thoughts and lines of thinking that have been destructive and have been holding us back, and they need to be changed. And we talked about the power of our thoughts. Last week, we talked about the power of our words and how things that we say often lead us into places and positions and relationships that aren't where we're supposed to be. And we need to be conscious about the power and the authority of our words. And this week, week number three, we're going to talk about actions, the things that we do, declaring war on what we do. And, and so, you know, you might begin to think, oh, this is Paul's opportunity. He's really going to harp on certain sins that he's angry about and make people feel guilty for what they've done. That, that's not really the heart of it because that's really not going to help you. What we're going to talk about is what your identity is. And when we have a better understanding of who we are and who our identity is, that changes the way we behave. That changes the actions. I'm not interested in just putting a spotlight on one behavior or one sin or one problem, but I want to highlight what our identity is supposed to be and how that's supposed to determine how we live, act, move, and breathe. Make sense? 
All right, today we're going to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you have your Bible with you, you can open up and follow along. We'll also project the words on the screen behind me. And we're going to dive into this passage that's written by the Apostle Paul, starting in verse 5. It says, For you are all children of the light and of the day, and we don't belong to darkness and night. And I'm actually going to pause there, and we'll just go through in, in chunks. I know it's going to make you dance around, but you're skilled enough to follow along. Uh, we are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. This is one of the first things that we see about our identity here, is the, this concept of children of the light. And, and this is kind of an artsy picture. You know, what does it mean to be a child of the light? There's a couple things that are, that are in here that we need to understand because it's supposed to paint this picture and it's supposed to illustrate the way that we live for God. And one of the characteristics of being in the light is it's saying things that were in the darkness, things that were hidden, things that were unseen before, they're no longer unseen, they're no longer hidden, and they're moved into the light. And when we think about living for God, this is an important concept because we can very easily slip into this church face mentality where we say, you know what, I want to be a good witness for Christ. I want to be a good demonstration of who God is to my, to my city. So the areas of my life that are still hurting or broken, the areas that I have issues, I'm going to keep those hidden because I want to help God do his job in the city by keeping my problems hidden. And I'm only going to present this face where everything is perfect, everything is fine. That's not being a child of the light. That, that's saying, I'm going to keep part of my life in darkness, and I'm going to keep part of my life in light. And we somehow think that we're helping God when we do that, by putting on a front, putting on a face, putting on a mask to tell people, this is where I'm at right now, when really, we're not there yet. One of the characteristics of being a child of light is being honest and open about our brokenness. Because the fact is, when you make a decision to follow Christ, you're not instantly perfect in all areas. You don't get it all figured out, and there are things that you will battle with for years and move backwards and move forward, and, and, and it'll be this progression. But this is what I want to encourage you on. You're children of the light. You don't have to be perfect. You're allowed to be broken. You're allowed to have places that you're working on. You're allowed to be a work in progress. We don't keep things hidden anymore. We're not children of the darkness. And, and the, the second part of that I think is so powerful. We don't belong to darkness and night. Because there's a sense that, you know, the, the things that I've kept hidden or the things that I did before I knew Christ, the, the, those addictions that I had, those problems that I had, those behaviors that I had, the things that I did that, that, you know, were things that I chose to do, we have this kind of thought that, like, those were mine. When in reality, and if you've ever come out of addiction, you probably know this pretty well, that those weren't yours, but you belonged to those things. Those, those substances, those behaviors, those actions, they actually took control of you. They actually took you places that you didn't want to go, that you actually belonged to those areas of darkness. Those areas of darkness didn't belong to you. They, they, they forced you into situations where you're like, I have to keep this hidden from my spouse. I have to keep this hidden from my friends. I have to keep this hidden from my family. I can't use my finances for what I want to use my finances for. Those habits, those things that we often have kept hidden, those actually have you. You don't have them. And when it says in here that we don't belong to the darkness anymore, it sets sets to, in the page, it sets that truth out there that, that God ha, is freeing us from those things, that we won't belong to them anymore. And this is the way that we're supposed to live, where, where we don't give anything authority over us anymore, any, no thing has control over us anymore, but we see that our, our identity, our relationship with God brings us to a point, point where God says, I'm going to help you be free of those, 
But one of the first steps of being free is recognizing those for what they are. Those are things that want to chain you up and bind you up. And you know, they, they say the first step to recovery is, is to hide your problems under the beach towels in the closet. <laughs> no, you know, the first step to recovery is admitting that you have a problem. I mean, it, it's, it's scriptural, but it's also so common sense that you can't begin to heal until you admit what's been going on. And this is why God wants us to live as children in the light where things are no longer hidden. Because when you, when you begin to let someone who's close to you and is a brother or sister in the faith, when you let them see what's going on, they can help you. I don't know why it is that we feel this compulsion to hide from God when we have something going on. As if, like, if I don't talk to God about this struggle, he won't know it's there and he won't think less of me. When in reality, we know God already knows, like God already sees, he knows what's going to happen. And so why wouldn't we pray to him about that struggle, that thing that we've been embarrassed about? I love the example of Christ praying in the garden the night before he went to the cross where, where he was praying and he was thinking about the suffering that he was about to endure and he prayed to God, if possible, let this cup of suffering pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. What a beautiful prayer where he says, I know the right thing to do is to go to the cross, but I know that it's going to be hard. So God, I, I, I need you. God, if this is your will, I'll do it. What a great place to be of saying, you know what? I, this is going on my, in my life, and I know the step that I need to take, but everything within me is reluctant to take that step. But God, I want to see your will happen in my life. So here it is. Here's the issue. And just putting it before God, and that's so powerful, and it's so healing, and it, and it helps move our actions in the right direction. And, and I want our relationship with him as children of light to be that, that, that factor that shifts the actions and the habits that we have. This is the first point that I want to instill um, for us this week, is your daily activity should come from your new identity. Your daily activity, it should come from your new identity. We are children of light. We, we don't belong to the darkness. That doesn't own us anymore. But we belong to and we sit under the authority of Christ. Uh, do you have any guys who played football in, in the room? Yeah, we got, got a couple of them. Now, the rest of you guys have watched enough football movies and seen football on TV enough to know these guys will actually experience the emotion of this when I say it. Imagine standing before your coach who, who just told you, you know, give me 20 up-downs, and you look at him in the eyes and you said, I don't really feel like it. I mean, how, how quickly do you need to be running from that man, like, if that happens? Like, you understand, he's the authority, and when he tells you to do something, it doesn't much matter what you feel about it, because you've placed yourself under his authority and his leadership, and so you have to do it. We understand this in the workplace, that if your boss says, hey, I need this by now, and you say, uh, I don't really feel like it. <laughs> do you feel like getting paid ever again? Like, 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 it doesn't matter what you feel about it. You need to get it done. We understand that authority works in those places, but we have really minimized the role of authority and what it should play in our life when it comes to God's word speaking over our habits, our behaviors, and our actions. When, when God says that we should do something or we should not do something, we need to understand that this isn't feel like, like I, I don't know if I feel like doing that. I don't know if I feel like obeying God. When he's your savior, when you said he's the Lord of my life, I'm all about what he wants me to do, but I want to disregard any instruction that he gives me, that does not make sense. And it's not just that it doesn't make sense, it's destructive to your life. 
It is destructive to your life to try to hang back part in the darkness and part in the light. It's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt you, not even focused on what it does to people around you who watch it. It's going to be destructive and painful to, to you. And so our actions, the way that we live, they need to be guided by our identity in Christ. The passage continues on into verse 6 and, and says, So be on your guard. Not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. The first part where it says, and be on your guard. I think that this is important because we're vigilant about some things, but we're not vigilant about others. Like, there's things that we guard and there's things that we don't. Um, There's a couple guys I know that, like, I mean, they have extravagant wealth. And one of the guys in particular, he's not showy about it at all, but I can't have a conversation with him without getting an update on what the stock market is about to do. And it's like, do I look like I'm invested in the stock market? Very much to you. Like, this does not pertain to me at all. I'm looking for a quarter, like, in the seat of my car to, like, go and finish buying my groceries, get my grocery cart at Aldi. Like, I'm not in that world. But, but he is in that world, and it's awesome that he is. There's nothing wrong with that. But he is continually on guard for his finances because a small dip in the market is a huge change for him. And it impacts him in a huge way. So any small dips he's trying to react to, he's continually on guard with that. And we understand that. We understand why people set up security cameras around the house to guard their possessions, to guard the things that they have, to make sure no one is opening their car door at nighttime. There's cameras set up everywhere. We understand guarding our possessions. But how many alarms do we have set up to protect our soul? Like, like how many bells start to go off when we start to stray from God? I mean, we, we, we worry and we freak out and we post on Facebook if we lose something from our car. And, and you know what? Maybe right, maybe wrong. It happens, but it's so easy to slip into this place where it's like, I don't even know where my Bible is around the house right now. Like, how did six weeks go by since we've been at church? It's so easy to slip in these places, and yet we know the truth of what, do, what does it gain a man to, if he gets the whole world, but he forfeits his soul? Like, what does it gain a man? What, what do finances really matter to you five minutes after you die? Like, it doesn't matter anymore. Someone else is squabbling about everything that you earned. Those things, they matter for a season, and they don't matter anymore. But your soul and the care and the trust that you've been given of having an eternal impact on people around you, having influence, spiritual influence in your family and in your relationships, spiritual authority over where your life is going, those things will matter forever. And we have to be on guard. We have to recognize what's going on. Because it it doesn't usually happen quickly. It happens slowly. It's like we allow some other love to begin to push God out of his place in our life. And it can be, like, it's not a bad thing. It could be something as, you know, easy as a hobby. Uh, It it could be, you know, hockey season. Like, I'm, I'm I'm a hockey fan. I'm not picking on anyone. I'm a hockey fan. It would be, and I became a hockey fan by watching hockey with other people. And I, and I saw their love, and it drew me in. And this is what happens in family sometimes. A kid will grow up watching a parent, a dad, be so in love with his sport, but so much dragging his feet at church. Like, drop $2,000 for tickets on the glass at a hockey game. But, like, only drop, like, $1 once a month in, in the bucket of church. And, and kids see where we invest ourselves. We, we learn to love by watching other people love. And if we allow some other passion to take God's place in our life, our kids will take that to the next level. Some of us have seen that. 
Some of you guys have watched that happen in your kids, and you're trying to course correct now. But when, when it says to be on guard, it's not as if everything's going to get robbed at once, but it's the slow progression where we slowly let other passions and other interests take the place that God deserves in our life. We have to be on guard. Not asleep like the others is what the passage says. And, and it's this picture of falling asleep on the job. This picture of, you know, driving a car and falling asleep could, could be the term that we'd apply to today's tense of saying, I was going somewhere and I had a direction, but I stopped paying attention, my eyes closed, and I have no clue where I'm going now. Like, like that's the picture that this is trying to paint. We don't want to go through life, and especially through our spiritual life, not paying attention and not being conscious to what's happening. Because this concept of be on your guard, not asleep like the others, it's balanced against stay alert and be clear-headed. Staying alert and being clear-headed. The, the concept of being clear-headed, it, it's just that simple. Uh, of being able to see things the way that they are. To not have things that are clouding your judgment. The passage dives a little bit further into, you know, at night times when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. The, the issue with getting drunk in this passage, within the context, is clearly spelling out, you have to be in control of your thoughts. You have to be in control of your actions. You have to be in control of the direction your life is going. And when you allow a substance to take control of you, you're giving over this authority that God has given you for your life. And whether it's by drinking or a substance, or whether it's by just not paying attention enough, we have to hold on to the direction that our life is going. We have to dictate where it's going to go. And if we are not intentional about carving out that time, it's not going to happen. And I know that because as someone who, you know, I am in love with God and I want my life to be about God, but it's so easy for the business of life to suck out that time that I'm going to spend with him. And if I don't dictate the terms of my day and say, during this time slot, I am going to grab my cup of coffee and I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to spend some time speaking with my heavenly father, if I don't intentionally carve that out, it will not happen. So for each one of us, we have to, we have to be clear-headed, we have to be alert, we have to be on guard and create the times where it's happened. Otherwise, it just won't. Otherwise, other things will push out the love that should have the first place in our life. In verse 8, the passage continues and says, But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. If you've ever been, and you know, this uses the illustration of armor and protection, and our series is talking about I declare war, and it has this picture of a battlefield. And, and if you've ever been in a tense moment, if you've ever had a moment where someone started raising their voice at you suddenly, started criticizing you, started, started saying things about you that were negative, you've probably experienced that, that, that emotion of where it's like the fight or flight. Like they, they say the blood starts running from your brain to your, to your extremities, getting you ready to run or fight, and it's like... You know, in that moment where they said something critical, you thought of the, the right comeback to say, but you just thought of it like 30 minutes later. <laughs> like, you know, the jerk store called, and <laughs> they're, they're out of you. And, and you know, you, you just couldn't do it at the time because the, the blood ran away and you weren't clear-headed. And, and in those moments, we default to just the behaviors that we've had in the past. This is one of the reasons why it's like as we live and we try to improve our relationships, as we try to live and live for God, training is part of that. Because you have to get yourself to where your response is just a natural default reaction. Because there's that like 
0.2 second fork in the road, when you're in a critical moment, it's like, you know what I'm talking about. That it's like you know, like I could react well to this or I could react poorly to this, but I am going to decide within 0.2 seconds. Like, am I am I going to react to them the way that they've been speaking to me? I'm going to react to them the way that Scripture instructs, the way that God would want me to react. And I know that decision goes by like that, but the more that you train, the more that you choose, the more that you force yourself to make the right reaction, the easier it is to react in the correct way the next time. And and the fight or flight moments, like we don't have too much time to think, we don't have too much processing power, because in that moment there's the stress, there's the anxiety. And and so we have to to train, we have to prepare. And and I find it interesting, the thing that, that God says actually protects us in this. Because when we think of faith, and like the reason that we need to have faith, I think the, the default answer is usually, well, God says that we should have faith. And, and so that's why we need to have faith. Uh, we need to have faith because when we pray, if we don't have faith when we pray, we, we shouldn't expect God to do anything because he wants faith from us when we pray. And we think the reason we need faith is because God wants it. And then love, the reason that we should have love is for other people. Because we need to love them and we need to be an example of Christ to them. And the reason that we need love is for these other people. But the interesting thing, and I wonder if you saw it in the passages we read it. It says, you know, let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love. Faith and love are actually something that protect you. In other translations it will say, rather than armor, it will say the chest plate of faith. And it's this interesting thing that... By having a strong faith, by allowing love to, to guide your actions, by, by choosing to respond with love instead of anger to any given situation, that's not protection for the other person, even though you could maybe argue that will protect them a little bit, but it actually protects you. When you train yourself to react with love, when you train yourself to react based on your faith in Christ, because you know what, in this situation, they, they're speaking negatively at me at, at work, and I have to trust that if I honor God in this situation, that he's going to take care of me. Because I feel like I have to defend and attack back if I'm going to improve my situation at work. But that's part of reacting with faith. is saying, I'm going to trust God to work out these details if I honor him in this difficult situation. Reacting with faith, reacting with love, it protects us. And then the passage continues and says, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of salvation. Now this isn't just the knowledge of salvation, but this is the confidence of it. Because the voice will sometimes come from other people, but most of the time it comes from us, that voice that says, you're not good enough. That voice that says, you've done too many bad things in the past. The voice that says, you're not smart enough, you're not talented enough, you can't keep up with the other people, you should probably just step backwards. God doesn't really love you like that. That voice that we've all heard, it, it, it comes in, But the thing that should battle against that is the confidence of salvation. And and there there should be within you that spark that fights back against that voice that says, you know what? I may not be good enough, but Christ in me is enough. I can never choose to do the right thing enough, but Christ always chose the right thing, and and he earned that, and he gave that gift to me. I love the way that Galatians 2, verse 20 says it. It says, and this is the Apostle Paul writing again, he says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. And focus in on this part. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself 
for me. The confidence of salvation that's supposed to operate to protect us, it's almost like earplugs. It's just saying, you know what? Those other voices, they get drowned out by the truth of who God is, the fact that Christ is enough. I don't have to be enough because he is going to work and he's going to live and he's going to move in me. It's not the truth of, you know, God helped me for a while and then I was able to stand on my own two feet and then I could do it on my own. That's not the scriptural picture. The scriptural picture is that from the moment where we first believe Christ, he partners into our life and he guides us and he speaks to us. That The Holy Spirit is given as a gift that counsels and directs us and that we never have to walk alone. We never have to depend on our own strength. Now this is the promise and this is the difficulty that you're going to have to fight in your mind. Because we're in those situations where we want to react poorly. We're in those situations where we want to choose the wrong thing. Because there's that battle in our flesh. God is always faithful to provide the strength you need to say no. God is always faithful to provide the strength that you need to say something loving instead of something that's rooted out of anger. His strength is always present. And then we as Christians have to own up to the fact that when we choose not to do what God has asked us to do, that's us saying no to him. God is faithful. God is powerful enough. And, it's, and, and when we choose to not follow those instructions, it's the same thing as being faced up with that football coach and saying, I just don't feel like it. And church, I want to encourage you. I'm not, I'm not putting something on the shoulders of I want you to be perfect, but I want you to recognize the truth of what's happening. And if you don't learn to hear, because there is that voice, and I know that it's there, that if you put your faith and trust in Christ, that in those moments of difficulty, you will hear that guiding of the Holy Spirit of saying, this is what I want you to do. But you have to recognize and affirm that the Holy Spirit is there and that he's speaking in your life. Because if you just say, oh, that's just my conscience, that's just something else, you need to recognize that God loves you enough to speak to you on a daily basis, on a minute-by-minute basis. That as you're navigating the issues within your family, he's there with you and he's speaking and he's directing. And that is the promise of Scripture. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. So I live this earth, in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And so this is the second point. It's a simple sermon today. Two points. The second point, don't do what you feel. Do what is right. Because in that moment, I understand the emotional draw to strike back. I understand the emotions. They often direct us away from what we know that we should do. But Scripture doesn't often tell us what we should feel, but it does tell us what we should do. And it tells us what... The, what will happen if we do what it says. It explains to us the type of life that we will experience when we obey the teachings of Scripture. And often that's learning to overpower and overstrengthen the feelings that we've had. I like the way that C.S. Lewis speaks to this because when we, when we start to take new behaviors, this battle of saying, well, I've never done this before, even though there's this spark, there's this voice inside me that says, I should live this way, I should speak this way, I should pray this way, I, I should open scripture and start learning it. There's that voice inside of us that says, well, you know what, you haven't been that person, so you're not allowed to become that person all of a sudden. You're not allowed for this sudden change. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, very often the only way to get equality in reality is to start acting like you have it already. Now, you might summarize yourself and say, I am not a patient person. You might summarize yourself and say, I am not a loving person. When the Spirit of God begins to push on your heart in that area, it doesn't matter if you've been that way. But the instruction of Scripture is to start acting that way. And then you will become that person. 
you will take on that identity. I'm not calling you to pretend like something that you're not. I'm calling you to live like something that God says you already are. You are a child of the light. You are called to be holy as he is holy. You are called to receive this amazing love and forgiveness that he gives to us new each morning. Be the person that God says you are. This life was bought for us when Jesus died on the cross. Band, if you guys would start making your way up, I'm going to wrap this thing up. There, there's a man named Desmond Doss. You might be familiar with his story. They made a movie about him, and he was drafted into World War II, but he was a pacifist. And, and he did not believe that he, he would touch a gun, and he would not point a gun at another human, even if his own life was on the line. And that's what he said his belief was. Uh, other soldiers that looked at him and said, you're just a coward. You just don't want to fight. You're just trying to get out of this conflict. You don't want to help people. You don't want to help protect our country. And he was sincere that this was my belief and this is how I have to act on it by not fighting. And so he was given a non-combatant role in the war where he was a medic. And then his, his unit was attacked in Okinawa, Japan. And there was so many people wounded, so many people dead. And now remember, he said and he believed that, that, he, that human life had intrinsic value. And so that meant that even at risk to his own life, he, he wouldn't harm someone else. And so as he had an opportunity to run away, but there is wounded men on the battlefield, time after time he ran out and dragged his fellow soldiers who were wounded to safety. President Truman, who, who gave him an award after this, said that you know he pulled out 75 men and being a very humble man, he said it was probably closer to 50. But time after time, he made a decision based on his belief that there's lives out here that matter. So my belief means that I have to go out and I have to try to rescue. I have to put myself at risk for someone else. And it's an encouraging story of courage and heroics, and he deserves to be applauded for what he did. But at the base of it, he was reacting to what he believed. His actions backed up his beliefs. Church, I'm not telling you that you have to be perfect. I'm not telling you that you have to put your life on the line, you know, 50 times through gunfire. But I'm telling you, you have to act on your beliefs. Our actions, they matter. They matter for who you are as a person. They matter for the people who surround you that you love and care for. And they matter for the city that desperately needs an accurate picture of Christ. One that shows love, grace, compassion, and even humility and brokenness. So today my, my challenge to you is to open yourself to God. To God, what are the steps that I need to take? Are there areas that I've been living in in darkness that, that are still holding on to me that I need to, let, I need to remove myself from? Are there steps that I need to take? Are there places where I need to take a step and ask for forgiveness for things that I've done? But I believe that our belief calls us to action. And then you have a choice. It's like that right now. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you love us enough to give us a second chance, no matter how many second chances we've had. I thank you that forever we have been freed from sin because of your work on the cross. 
And so help us to live like people who are no longer bound up to sin. Help us to live like people who are no longer shackled to their past. Help us to live in the freedom that only you give. Help us to rejoice in the fact that Jesus, you have paid and canceled our debt. Help us to live a life that is like a child in the light, nothing to hide. Give us the courage to take that step that you're pushing on our heart today so that we can become that person that you want us to be. It's in your son's name we pray.